Thank you, Joanna, and all of you for the wonderful music. And thank you for these wonderful gifts up here. You see the size of this teddy bear up here? See, that's why steroids should be outlawed. That's just not, that's just not normal, but that's so fun. Somebody's going to be so blessed. And uh, I think somebody's already been blessed in giving and sharing that gift. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, will be the text for this morning, uh, beginning in verse 21. Actually, beginning, I'm beginning to read this morning where we usually stop on Christmas Eve. Uh, so this is a section of Scripture that doesn't get uh, preached on as often. And uh, so we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38 in just a moment. Uh, the sermon series for this Advent season is simply, We Like Christmas. Uh, we, we like Christmas. There are some things that we just love about this precious holiday season, and we're going to be thinking together about those things. And as I uh, prepare to read the Scripture, I would invite you to bow with me for a time of meditation reflection, time of centering, and a time of prayer. Mighty God, you are the one who heals the brokenhearted, who binds up the wounds of those who are distressed. You are mighty, you name the stars, and yet you are lowly, you lift up the downtrodden. You take pleasure in those who hope in your never-failing love, and we thank you and bless you. We cry out to you this morning on behalf of those who need you, those grieving, those who are battling health issues, family struggles, uh, all kinds of crises. We pray for those serving in the military, for those serving in the uh, in police departments, for those serving as first responders, especially we pray for National Guard and those serving in the Ferguson area. We pray for the people of Ferguson. We pray that there might be peace in that city and peace in our state and peace in our land. And we pray that this season might be a time of year when we learn more about loving one another and listening and caring for one another. We invite you, God, to bless those who are here this morning with special needs and special burdens. Only you know the depths of our hearts, the struggles with sin, the struggles with discouragement, and the fears of the future. So we trust you to speak to each of our hearts, magnify your name, and grow us in the faith as we hear your word. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. And now I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, and I invite you, if you're able, to stand And uh, as we come to attention, I'll read this aloud and you listen prayerfully. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn Male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death 
before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his, Mary, to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. May God bless His Word. You may be seated. It seems there was this woman who had an appliance breakdown, and she called the toll-free number. She received an email as backup, and she scheduled the appointment, a time for her to miss work, to be home, so that the repairman could come and fix the appliance. We've all been there, right? And the service technician did not show up. So again, she scheduled an appointment, missed work, and again, the repair person did not show up, and a third time, the same thing happened. Finally, the woman was pretty upset, and she took the toll-free number and just sort of scratched through it. She noticed the email that had been given to her, and she sent an email to the company with the heading that simply, with the title that simply said, Matthew 11.3, and then she put in the text, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? We've all been there, haven't we? How many of you have ever gotten tired of waiting for a repairman to come to, to fix something or hook up cable or hook up the satellite or whatever? We've all, and it's not very fun, is it, to wait and wait and wait for something that's supposed to happen. And we feel very put upon. We feel very, very impatient. And waiting is not an easy thing to do for any of us. The scripture lesson this morning uh, tells about two people who had waited a long time for God to show up and God to do what God said God would do. And it was not an easy waiting game. It was Simeon and Anna, wonderful people, and we have some things we can learn from them. We, as I said, we don't, we don't talk about them as much in the Advent season, uh, and I think, I think they deserve some attention, especially when it comes to the subject of hope. We like hope as Christians. We like hope. And uh, this is the Advent season for us. This is the season for us to talk about this uh, during this very special holy season. Now, uh, Simeon and Anna had a lot in common. Uh, they both were advanced in years. Luke makes that very clear. They both were waiting for God to act. In Simeon's case, 
the phrase is used, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We sang about it this morning. Uh, In Anna's case, she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Different phrases, same content. Waiting for God to act. Waiting for God to vindicate them. Waiting for God to make things right. To turn right side up all the things in the world that have been turned upside down and made wrong. And waiting for all these things. And uh, so that they had in common. Another thing they had in common... Neither Simeon nor Anna were famous. They didn't write a book of the Bible. Uh, They weren't major prophets. They were probably not well known in their time. And, And probably by the world's standards, they were not, quote, successful. But I tell you what they were. They were faith filled, and they were hope filled. And people who are faith-filled and people who are hope-filled bear watching and learning from. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that the phrase used to describe um, Simeon is that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I looked that word up, and it's interesting that that New Testament word consolation in the original language is the same word uh, that is used by Jesus to describe the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one called alongside us, a translated comforter or encourager. And so Simeon was waiting for the encouragement of God's people. He was waiting for the comfort of God's people. He was waiting for God to come alongside of God's people and make things right. I want to be honest with you, I have never met someone who has told me they've received too much encouragement. I've never met anyone who said they've received too much comfort and and positive feedback and reinforcement from others. Nobody's ever walked up to me and said, you know, enough of this encouragement stuff. I just can't take anymore. I mean, I I just don't have any more room for encouragement. Would you please stop? Nobody's ever said that to me. You know why? Because the world is hurting. Your world is hurting. You are hurting. You're discouraged. You're beaten down. You're afraid. We are starved for hope. We long for hope. We ache for hope. And Simeon was day after day, year after year, waiting for God's comfort and hope and encouragement to come. Everybody needs hope. Everybody needs hope. The whole world is struggling and in pain. Now, would it be helpful on this first Sunday of the season to remind us of the difference between shallow optimism and deep hope. There's a huge difference, and I want to lay an analogy on you. I want to make it as simple as can be because you're full of turkey and you're tired and you still haven't caught up on your rest, even though you slept through two football games. I want to make it as simple as possible. 
The difference between shallow optimism and deep hope is the difference between a cut flower and a live oak tree. You got it? A cut flower and a giant live oak tree. Went walking with some family yesterday at Runge, uh, the hiking trail, and saw some beautiful old oak trees, so rooted, so, so, so magnificent, so majestic. What a difference between a live oak tree, a huge old tree, rooted so deeply, and a cut flower. That's the difference between shallow optimism that the world offers and the deep hope of the gospel. Uh, it was theologian Jürgen Moltmann who reminded us that God's hope is not based on human possibilities. God's hope is not built on human possibilities. God's hope is based on God's faithfulness and the effectiveness of God's promises. God's hope is not built on human possibilities, but on God's faithfulness and God's effective promises. See, this morning, I have hope for a divided nation, divided over the events this past week in Ferguson, Missouri. I have hope. Not, I don't have hope in human possibilities, what humans can do to fix that, but I have deep hope in the reconciling love of God through Jesus Christ to teach people to value every human being and to teach people to value property and to respect law and order. You see, somehow or other, only God can fix what's wrong with our nation. A deep hope in God versus a shallow optimism of what human possibilities are. I have hope for Ukraine. Our church is deeply invested in a partnership in Ukraine, a country that has been riven with with civil war and violence and pain. Uh, I had correspondence this Thanksgiving season with a friend whom I met while in Ukraine a year ago, September. Uh, This is not our partner church nor our uh, partner church planting pastor. He's just a, a pastor whom I met at a pastor's fellowship when we were sort of talking shop about the challenges of ministry. And we sort of hit it off together, uh, even with the language difficulties, and we've stayed in touch uh, through email. And he gave me, without even me asking, he gave me a picture of what that country is like today with the war that has been raging. He talks about the ravages of war, and here's what he says. Thousands have died. The heart aches to see one more funeral. The tears of mothers wives, and children. And then toward the end of his email, he said, a brother in Christ asked me recently, what's joyful in your life? Interesting question, isn't it? In a country racked with pain, that another Christian would ask uh, Brother Igor, what's joyful in your life? It sort of took Igor by surprise, And then he answered, and this is what he wrote me. He said, here's what I answered to the question, what is joyful in your life? God is alive, and that is my greatest joy. No matter what is going on around us, when Jesus is in our life, when he takes first place, then everything else is in the right place. See, he was talking about leaning into his hope, just as Simeon and Anna were leaning into their hope. He wasn't talking about human possibilities. 
He was talking about the effectiveness of God's promises, the faithfulness of God's character. I have hope this morning for our own eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know, we're all dying. Everybody here this morning has been or will be touched by the death of a loved one or a friend. And we are all facing our mortality. We have a service this afternoon uh, in the Duke Chapel. We do it every year, a service of comfort, especially for those who've lost loved ones this past year. Coming into the holidays, it's a tough challenge. But it's really for anyone because we're all touched by death. But you see, I have hope that through Jesus Christ, the effectiveness of God's promises are sure so that we have blessed assurance that no matter what happens to us, God is in charge and God is in control. And one of the things that has to happen to us as people of Jesus is to start living out of our hopes instead of living out of our fears. When we start living out of our worst fears, we make all kinds of mistakes individually, and as a people. When we start living out of our fears, our worst fears, we we start really messing up. But when we start living out of our best hopes, we start making good choices. And that's what the gospel is calling us to. To live not out of our worst fears, but out of our best hopes. I uh, had had an airplane flight Uh, not too long ago, to Atlanta. And I was reminded of all you travel road warriors who do that for a living. Uh, I don't know how you do it. My hat's off to you uh, to travel all the time. Uh, It's fun once in a while, but I I decided, I think I figured out the most tiring part of airplane travel. Uh, It's not the uh, drive to the airport because you can mark off the mile markers and know you're getting close. It's not even the walk through the terminal, you know, dodging people and and making sure you have all your stuff. And it's not even going through security, sort of like a cosmic confessional booth, you know, you just pass through and and bare your soul. Uh, The most tiring part for me is when you go through all of that and you board the plane And then you just sit there and wait, and nothing happens. And they shut off the air conditioner just to make you miserable, (laughs) because they like to aggravate you. And you just sit there, and you twiddle your thumbs, and you think, well, you know, take off. That's the hardest part. See, when something's happening, we can handle it. When we can be in charge of walking down the terminal or driving the miles, we can handle it. But when we can't do anything and nothing's happening, that makes us more tired than anything else. But just when you think nothing's happening, something is happening. Because when you're sitting there sweating next to a friend you don't know, And it looks like nothing's happening. Something is happening. Up in the cockpit, they're doing the final pre-flight check. And you better thank the Lord they're making that final check. That's a good thing. 
When you think nothing's happening, sometimes the most important thing in the world is happening. You just can't see it. And so three cheers for Simeon and Anna. They kept hoping even when it looked like nothing was happening. They kept hoping even when nothing visible was occurring. Because in those moments, God was doing his most important work. Can you start trusting God that way? See, Simeon and Anna teach us that God is worth waiting for. God and God's promises are worth waiting for. They're always good. And so here's just a a, sort of a wrap-up I want to show you on the screen Just some simple things to remember. God can work in any crisis. God can work through any crisis. And God gets the last word. Can you make it through Advent? Can you make it through whatever struggle you're enduring this morning? Can you make it through whatever heartache, whatever brokenness, whatever fear? Can you start living out of your best hopes instead of your worst fears? And can you start trusting that God can work in any crisis and through any crisis and that God gets the last word? Let's pray together.